Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask Are You OK? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You OK? Welcome to the Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton. Each week I talk to people from across the sporting landscape to reflect on their career, be it past or present, We'll discuss the struggles and the successes, the transition to retirement, and in many cases, the ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. Our guest tonight is a former champion jockey whose six Group 1 wins and some 532 career wins, 532 career wins, he's already punching the air. (laughs) Those wins brought in nearly $10 million in prize money throughout his career. But his dream ride would come to an end prematurely after two horrific falls. The worst was at Stony Creek in March 2007, which he was actually lucky to survive. He's had his fair share of challenges since then. Just getting out of bed at times has been a major challenge. But he's back in the industry he loves. On the other side of the microphone, this time as one of the much-loved team on SEN Track, David Taggart. Tags, welcome to the conversations that Damn. could. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be on your show too. Uh, I'm an avid listener of it, and I tell you what, I couldn't wait to. Once <laughs> I got on, the, yeah. the, the invite to come on, I jumped at it. Brilliant. Pleasure now, to be here. Now you're five timer, yeah. Yeah, five time day, oh, five time night. Me, they call me six timer, so I've got, <laughs> I've got you covered. <laughs> and they'll sit and explain yourself. The six time, six time group one winner. Group so one that's, winner. That's yeah, a little. Uh, well, Tongue in cheek here. They call me the six time. The boss does Hutchie, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, wrapped with your intro there. With what the, did with I get the, wrong? You robbed me of, robbed me with a few winners. Uh, oh, five hundred so and I was pre-internet. See, so don't believe what you read on the internet these How days. How many did so you have? I started writing in nineteen ninety, so internet and stats and all that really didn't come out until so the late nineties. Yeah, yeah, two really two thousand. That's when Racing Victoria really started keeping their stats. Yeah. So it was close to eight hundred winners I wrote. 800. And I, I, I did spend four years in Macau from 96 to 2000. Yeah. So I, I wrote close to 150 winners there. So we'll cover uh, that off 800 on that. All, all up. I wrote 300 exactly as an apprentice, believe it or as not. As an apprentice. Mm. <laughs> You've taken to the others to, to the cleaners as oh, an apprentice. A- You're not even a fully fledged. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you, you may mentioned the, the group. One winners. I've got some of my mates. So I'm going to run up the white flag here now and declare, I what I know about horse racing can be written on the back of a postage stamp. <laughs> all right, it's nothing. But some of my mates love it. One of my mates, I told him I was interviewing you uh, today, and he said, "Can you thank him for me when he rode Seascape? Yes, uh, in, in the Nissan Stakes Group One. Was it '94 or '95? And it was at Long. Well, which one? 
Which one? No, right. the back, boat, to, back to back. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, the, you know the feeling. Yeah, hey, and back to back. <laughs> and he said they were at good odds. Yeah, the first one, Seascape, was the first time I ever rode him. Uh, it was for David Hayes. I didn't do much riding for the Hayes clan. Yep. Because uh, uh, I might have carved up a couple as an apprentice, and they dropped off me, which was uh, understandable. <laughs> carved up yeah, a couple. Yeah, slaughtered one one day. What were you thinking in front on of those old occasions? Sugar Lips too, Mister Colin Hayes, and uh, yeah, they weren't happy and. I didn't have a lot of riding for him, do yeah. a lot of riding for him. And anyway, this opportunity came. This was just after my accident at Moonee Valley, of yep. course, which we'll touch on later where I got all smashed up and yep. and that. And, uh, yeah, it was 94. And I'd already ridden a Group 1 winner that spring and Hayes Court came calling. And I only had 50 kilos. I was very light then. Yep. Uh, even though I got, I got heavy, I came back to, to, to shedding the weight after that accident. And, yeah, it was... Uh, Going to the gates, I jumped on this colt, Seascape, and it's only ever happened to me twice going to the gates, and he was one of them where, you're going to win today, and he was 50 to 1. Another time was a maiden at Maui at 20s and got the money. You wouldn't believe it, was yeah. it? I only have, had, he had that six cents, and he went to the gates. He was full of beans. I didn't know the horse from a bar of soap. Uh, he was an ex-Kiwi horse, of course. Uh, he'd only had a couple of runs here. He didn't do a hell of a lot. Rode him cold, got all the runs, and and got the money at fifty to one. Can, can I can I tell you the the, the 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 similarity with me is when playing footy, I could pick up a footy and be directly in front and think to myself, oh, this footy doesn't feel right, and I'd and I'd miss. I could be on an impossible angle, pick up the footy and and just wriggle it around in my hands and go, this feels good. And it you'd kick it, you'd it kick the goal. I don't know some of these. You, you just align yourself with some of these tools, and I'm not calling a horse a, a tool, but but is it true that you guys are so good at what you do? You can get to the horse and you can go, oh, this feels good. This feels right. This this horse knows me and I've just met him. For a top jockey, the top jockey's number one rule, and, and I believe this wholeheartedly, is horses have to run for you in order for you to be a top jockey. Yep. You see the same bad jockeys always asking for a man up in the gates, whether it's that nervous energy and the horse feels that. But this was like a six sentence. It only ever happened to me twice. I've been going to the gates where you'll win. You know, you're just going to be too good for them and you're the fave and, or you're your second favourite, but you're just, you're, you're going to win. Yeah. But this was just, I've never met these at least twice. I've never met them. And uh, I was, both times said, you're going to win today. Just just that six cents. And he got the money and then he came out and won back-to-back uh, -back, uh, Nissan's the next next year at, at $10 as well. So we're talking 94 and 95, 95 back yeah. then. And then... Don't wish to pry. Nobody likes it, but it's we're looking at a quarter of a century ago. When you jump off the back of Seascape and you've won the, the Nissan, what does it put in your pocket? Can I ask that? Well, we get 5% of the prize money. And so, what was it then? So back then it was it was a $300,000 race, one ninety five to the to the winner, so I say 200 so I got ten grand. Uh, and uh, I got invited because Roy Higgins had part uh, to do with the horse. Great and, guy, ma Roy. Also, yeah. uh, so we went to the flower drum for, to celebrate. <laughs> David Hayes and da David Hayes and uh, and of course uh, Gene Sawyer, the owner, who owns still a lot of horses these days. Yep. Uh, we especially with Peter Moody and I think David Brideach's got a couple with him and uh, yeah. So he's got horses around around the place here in Victoria, uh, Hong Kong doctor. And uh, yeah, the flower drum got shouted there. It was beautiful. Yeah, Gilbert. <laughs> Gilbert used to, you'd walk in there every two years and he'd remember what you had last time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, that's a good businessman. That's a good restaurateur. Now, tell us, um, 
a little bit before we go into the troublesome times that your career has struck. Tell us about your family. Where did you Where did you come from? What brought you into horse riding, horse racing, uh, riding, and the love of it? If it was a love or if it was yeah. a job, it was just just blue collar. Born and bred in East Melbourne, around the corner from Caulfield. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mum was a nurse. Dad worked uh, in catering at for Telecom. They were they had something to do with catering back then. They just weren't uh, landlines and that. Yep. Uh, and they were just hardworking people. They owned, they got into one of the first indications of horses back in the late seventies. Yep. And, uh, they got into a little horse called Star Shower, won a blue diamond. So I'm five and six years old at the, at the time. I'm, and I'm always been tiny. Yeah. And I love football and I love cricket. Yep. But look at the size of me. I'm going to get hammered. Like <laughs> Like, imagine if I was a footballer, I would have been playing against you, mate. You could, you could have been a good spin bowler, though. You, yeah. that's, you'd get him to keep low and skid through. <laughs> that's it. But, uh, again, just always love sport. Yeah. Wasn't great academically. Uh, love sport. And then that was the obvious. And uh, I was going to the racetrack with the parents. They loved horse racing as well. And then they brought into horses. And uh, I just, one day, I said, let's become a jockey. Never really rode. Well, never rode. Uh, they took me up to de- to a trainer's property to de- to deter me to to be one, and yeah. uh, got me on this pony, and I fell off it half a dozen times in half hour. And that didn't deter you. Just kept bouncing back up and said, "Let's go again. Let's go again." When anyway, you say pony, what for you? What a pony! No, nah, it was is a pony. Not, not oh, right, a pony. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. a horse. A thoroughbred. Yeah. It was a little pony. And uh, yeah, they looked out. I was I was eight or nine at the time, yeah. and I just kept getting back up, and uh, uh, and then because I pushed it so hard. Mum nursed Jim Serkey, the late, great Jim Serkey, Dandy Andy. So he invited me up there for a Christmas over the school holidays because we'd already been to see my boss, Frank King, and he says, come back in 12 months' time because I was only 14 at the time. Went up to Jim Serkey's, done a summer there and another couple of school holidays, uh, enjoyed it. Hard work, as always is. It's yeah. uh, it's uh, hospitality in the in the racing industry. You just... You want hard work, they're the two industries to go into, but I still loved it. <laughs> Went to Caulfield, got the boss uh, to sign me up, Frank King. Though, of course, the late, great Frankie King, who taught me along with Kevin Mitchell as well. And, of course, they had Darren Gouchy, Spike Short, Stan Aiken, they were leading apprentices and, and Aussies, four tr- of his boys. Is it true that they put you on the chaff bag? The, the chaff, chaff bags? Yeah. And just keep whipping the yeah, back of it? Yeah, that was his go. Learning how to do it. 100%. Hands and heels, give it a, a whack on the yeah. back of the chaff bag. But it was more like splitting your reins and getting the feels for the reins rather than, ah, right. than yeah. Your, yep. yeah, your technique of, of hitting one. Because it's you're on a stationary bag. And it was all more about reins, getting the feel through your reins, swapping the whip through to the left hand. Like back then, not many jockeys were swapping whips from right to left, and it's it's an asset that you do need. You see so many horses laying in or laying out these days, and you do need to swap your whip from left to right. So not many were doing it. I was doing it. It's it's a it takes a while to to master, but once you do it, geez, it's a it's a good. Uh, asset to have in your tool bag. I've never thought about it. As I said, I, I know very little about horse racing. But one, they... two, one me a 2004 Oaks. Well, there you go. Do, do they get a lengthened stride if you keep whacking on the one side? Well, they're side? laying in. So what they do, so, so Hollow Bullet, when she won the Oaks in 04, uh, when, she always had a tendency to lay in. And because I was so far off them, and she hadn't used her turn of foot, and she just wanted to get in. And horses get in once they're either, if they're not handling their ground through shiftiness, or they're under pressure. And they've just got to try and lifting and get to the leaders. And I just swapped that whip to the left hand. It just took me one stride, bang, over. She straightened and just 
then they get to change stride and get onto a fresh leg. Yeah. It's like you wailing a bale of water and then you get tired, you swap to the other arm yeah. and you can keep going. And that's what happened. She just she just accelerated and took off. And that's because she had a little tickle on her backside with the left hand. Unbelievable. And tell us about the industry. Before we go to the break, just final one, before we uh, hit a break, how, do, how would you describe the industry today and what would it be like for a young fella coming through? It's much easier these days. Still hard work. Why? It's especially race riding. Uh, these days, apprentices are senior jockeys with a claim. Back back then when we were apprentices, Dee Oliver, he mucked out boxes right up until he was 21 and he's leading jockey. Yeah. Lee Freeman had him mucking out, right, before he had to ride his half a dozen to That's 10 like horses. a movie script. Right, exactly. So you get there, you're getting there at 3.30 in the morning, you do your... your Horse husbandry, you're mucking out boxes, you're checking over your horses, you may give them a little bit of breakfast before they go off to work um, and just check things over and then you start getting ready and go out and uh, start riding track work and coming back, hosing. He wouldn't have been hosing them. And, and I only had two or three in horse, uh, horses in work, so I was all right. But you still have to roll them, hose them. It's all horse husbandry. These apprentices of today, they've got a little bit easier. Uh, but that's when they start getting their race day license. Once they're, once they're not licensed yet, they're doing all that, though. But it's only for a short time. Go on, say it. They don't breed them like they used to. It's tough. You know what the world's come? <laughs> the millennials of the world, Doom. <laughs> Our guest tonight is David Taggart. This is The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Ice Coffee. The Conversations That Could, with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You Okay? I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest tonight is David Taggart. He's ridden 532 winners. Well, he reckons there's more than that. Around the 800. And those 800 happened before a fall in 2007. Smashed his body and his dreams of a lifelong riding career and he was just 33 years of age. So, Tags, you, you touched on it a little earlier. Four years in Macau. Yeah, that was back in 96? 96, end right? of the spring carnival of 96. Yeah. I just got beaten on Seascape for his third Nissan. Missed the hat-trick. Nissan. Yeah. And, and, and I look back through his record. I rode him in 13 Group 1s. I won two Emirates on it, or two Nissans Emirates that's called the, uh, the Cantala. Now it's, now it's on the final day of the carnival, the 1,600-metre race. Uh, I ran second on him in a Manicardo. I second on him in a Tourac. I, I think I had about another four or five Group 1 placings on him. How did you ride those, even though you, you were he second? Got, he used to get back and, and he had no early gauge speed and always needed the pace to be on because that if there's no pace up front, we're not going to make up the ground. Yep. But those handicap 1,600 metres, they're, they're always pace on because there's a full field of yep. 16 and uh, the lightweights can go forward and, and all that. So there's always pace injected 90% of the time. I would then, after that, I was always going to go to Macau, but I still thought I was going to be riding Seasca in Hong Kong in the International, the 1800 there. Yeah. Because uh, I had placed on him in, a, in an Underwood as well, which is at, at Caulfield over the 1800 um, that spring. And the managing owner, Rob McEnoldy, rings me up from New Zealand. Yeah. Wasn't happy with the ride. Just rode him how every time I, I rode. I was having a Sunday barbecue to save. Thank you and, and farewell to my, my friends because we were leaving the next week. Yep. Uh, the, the girlfriend and I. And Rob brings up, abuses the hell out of me, couldn't even get a word in. And it was just his way of saying, don't bother riding him on um, in Hong Kong. The Oliver took the ride. He ran second. I stayed in Macau. But, but getting an opportunity to ride a horse International Day when I've just moved to Hong Kong, in, uh, I mean, into Macau, uh, to get a ride in Hong Kong when I was based in Macau would have been huge for my 
start of my career where I did struggle for the first six months in Macau. So how old were you in Macau when you were? Uh, 23. Okay. Just turned 23. Yep. A young Uh, man. Very young. Yeah. Yeah, Very young. Maybe too young when I went there. Had a lot of success though. Uh, I I always struggled with weight. So the weight went up. My attitude was a little bit, uh, I, I wasn't the greatest worker, put it that way. Yeah. I was when I was an apprentice. It's been described I, to me that 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 you worked hard on the track and around the horses and on the horses. Yeah, worked hard, play hard. But you you, you lived life to the fullest <laughs> once the uh, you went past the uh, finish post. Yes, uh, and that was probably the downfall of uh, most of my career, though. The, the dedication uh, part wasn't the greatest on my behalf. Can you do it? Can you burn a candle on both? Georgie Best used to say that if the candle was big enough, you can burn it's it tough. at both ends. You can do it when you're young, but it catches up with you, doesn't it? Yeah. But especially when you've got to hold your weight, and that's a little thing. And so when you're knocking back rides with weight and all that, and people get a little bit, uh, yeah. So, but, but you've landed in Macau, so you're 23. Yeah, in Macau. And people are, going, people are looking at you, and from everything I've got in front of me and all my mates who I've researched with, they said, he was a hot jockey. Yeah. He, he was the hot kid in town. They brought and they were big expectations. How hard yeah. is it for a 23-year-old to rein himself in and say, I'm here to ride horses? <laughs> and that's it. Because it's easy to get subtra- uh, sidetracked in Macau, put it that way. Yeah. It was I went of... there in 85. <laughs> it was a Best different time town then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it only got better. Don't worry about that. Go, <laughs> go a decade later. And I went back there not so long ago, 2019, just before COVID hit. Yep. And I didn't recognise the place with all the casinos and that yeah. and all the, you know, the the land that they've built, of course. But, uh, yeah, Macau, though, there was, even though I had my girlfriend with me, fiance, yeah. um, you're still going out with owners and, and you're catching up with them and, and going into Hong Kong and trying to, you know, and you're trying to work some angles and that and try and get the best rides and, and you just, you know, you, it's, it's all around the punt as well and you've got to try and tip them into the, into winners and you try and get lucky money that way and, and all that, and when you have a bit of success, yeah, it can go to your head that little bit. Got to got to my head, went to my head a little bit, but uh, you still had a job to do. But I was riding heavy there late. And uh, when you say riding heavy, uh, I was riding about fifty seven instead of about fifty four. Right, so yeah. three kilos, three kilos a lot. Yeah, you know, get difference between riding um, choice of having three or four rides in the one race to having ten rides in the one race. So. Yeah, uh, but it was a great time there. Uh, Did you have enough? Not father figures, but did you have enough people whispering in your ear, "Hey, mate, this is this is the this is the idea. This is the track. No. This is the no, no, no." So you're self-employed, and you're with you're hanging around a lot of other young jockeys as well, and 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 the Chinese they just want the next winner. The owners say, "What's the next winner?" They just yeah. Uh, I was a very good judge, and I found a lot of winners for them. But it's it was just the as I said, I, I rode forty two winners my last season. I probably. Uh, where leading jockey was Johnny Didham, you riding over a hundred, and uh, and I thought about thirty five of them could have won. Uh, well, one out of the yeah. forty two winners, I, I I tipped my owners thirty five of them, so I had a very fruitful uh, last season there. So you would have made a few bob over there. How did that? Did you just set yourself up for life? Yeah, yeah. Came back, had a couple of properties and and that, and I took uh, uh, the missus got instead of coming back home, went to Las Vegas, got married. Uh, the missus was in foal. Tell me time. you doubled your money. Uh, <laughs> I actually did. I, yeah, oh, of no course. Way. Yeah, yeah. I oh. ended up winning cause, uh, at the <laughs> Imperial Palace at Baccarat. Paid for half the trip. So that, so that was all right. But, uh, yeah, she was in foal. Uh, got married. Went and sold seafood. Did you just that, say that night. she was in foal? Yeah, That's your partner. Yeah, she was in foal. <laughs> That's a description. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, because, um, you know, women are like, they're on the birth control. It might take a while. Yeah, but, uh, yeah right. Yeah, call me, uh, call me Zabil because first go, got her in foal. And... And that uh, well, so, so she's touring half of America, three, four months pregnant, didn't I? Because we thought it might take a little bit while. Uh, it took take a while to get her get her pregnant. But anyway, we got married in Vegas or Siegfried and Royd that night. <laughs> Parents were over there. Had a had a, had a you ball just except the white her. Tiger? Yeah, yeah, the yes. white tiger. Yeah, you hadn't eaten him then. <laughs> <laughs> That's magnificent. Oh, that is and, beautiful. And, uh, yeah, and the parents and mum and dad were over there to see us. And, uh, yeah, we all had a ball, I think, except her because she was pregnant. <laughs> now, tell us, uh, a kid walks into a, in my world, an AFL club these days, and they sit down and they, they offer them hope. The club offers them hope, uh, a, a chance to make something of themselves, some guidance, the facilities, a great environment, a good club. And then once they start to get settled, they say, right, Okay, go and speak to this person. You don't have to listen, but this we advise you should, mm. and this person will map out what you can do with your career and your financial status and will make sure that you can be comfortable at the end of the day, whenever it was, and you leave a better person and in better nick than when you walk through the door. Does the racing industry have anything like that? I have that? that support now, yes. The they do now. Yeah, so even back in my day, all the money went into an apprentice fund, so you didn't get it. You got paid off your master. Because you're doing an apprenticeship. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I earn over hundred thousand, but yet my weekly wage was one hundred and fifty dollars because of all my race riding. Yeah, but that 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 allowed you the 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 bank the apprentices fund allowed you to pay off a tax bill if you wanted to buy a property, a car as well. They allowed you to use that. It's a little bit different these days, but they have a lot more in place too. The 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 apprentice schools a lot better. We have. a mental health doctor there, Lisa Stevens, for for the jocks that are sort of struggling that little bit, being with the the, the hard duties of uh, of racing, and and of course uh, people, as you say, finance officers and all that. So yep. they're they're all they are all there if you need them, need them at racing. But they weren't there in your day. Not there in my day. You got guided by your boss, and sort of people that were around you. Uh, no need to mention names. Have you heard of people who took advantage of that situation? Uh, no, no, no. Which there's always good. hangers Great. on us, though. Yeah. Uh, there's always people that, that Ooh, yeah. Yeah, want a tip and, and all yeah. that, but uh, yeah. not sort of trying to use you and abuse you. Okay. That, yeah. But That's there's always, yeah, of course, there's always people like that. Now, after the break, we're going to talk to you about a couple of incidents where it, it went horribly wrong for you physically. You all right with that? Oh, 100%. Happened a long time ago, Dan. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back. My guest tonight is David Taggart, six-time Group 1 winning jockey whose career came to an end when he suffered two horrific falls. Well, it came to an end on the second one. I'll let you do it, Tags. Tell us the first one, the timeline of it. Tell us what happened in the interim and then the final one. When were they? Yeah, the first one, never forget it, January 17, 1994, trials at Mooney Valley. Uh, and one of our great men there, Simon O'Donnell, he was actually there as well. Yeah. He always brings it up to me uh, off air and every time I work with him, Great of man, Scoot. Champion. Yeah. And he didn't think I'd ride again. Doctors actually gave me only a, a 30% chance of riding. So what, what actually... Because of the injuries? Because and of the what injuries. were they? So what, what happened? So I actually pick up this this ride at the trials and it's, it's in, as I said, January, leading into the autumn carnival. 
Uh, and it was for a trainer who I rode so many winners for as an apprentice, and uh, Ronnie Wood, and I just couldn't say no to him, even though I wasn't engaged. But that's what you do at trials too. Trainers come up to you. Yep. Yeah, of course you're going to, yeah. And I was, of course I was never going to knock him back, even though I was one of the leading apprentices. Anyway, um, as the barriers open, Mark Flaherty was, was on one of Greg Urell's, and it reared up simultaneous as the, as the gates open. So we'll go on Melbourne way. These things now getting hooked, uh, caught up in the gates by all the cords. What I'm, what I heard, and they've opened up the back of the gates to get him free and then pick it up, but it got loose from him. What, what was the distance? <clears throat> the, what was the race? I think it was a thousand meter trial. So I'm trying to work out where the where the barrier was situated. Yeah, so it's, so yeah, yeah. it's around the back. Yeah, yeah around the back. Yeah. So this thing now gets gets loose. So we'll go on Melbourne way. Yeah. And I've led him up. Uh, this maiden in a good field, yeah. And this thing apparently is now going going the other way around, going clockwise. I've, I've knocked up and run last, and I'm staying on the fence. Now this thing, this loose horse is running along the fence, and he sees three or four horses go past him, and here I am on the fence, and I've noticed it, and I went to get off the fence, and it went to whip around to follow his mates, and it's t-boned me, yeah. And then I got thrown straight into the brick wall. Now everyone says, "Oh, the brick wall." Stuffed you up, but it, I broke all my left hand side. See, so it's T boned me, and, and so it's hit me on the left hand side where I broke uh, my jaw in a couple of places on the left hand side. I broke my left wrist. So, you reckon the horse impacted yeah, that? Yeah, the horse not, impact, not the fall not, to the not brick the wall. wall. No, so because yeah. it hit me on the left hand side, and I broke both, basically all my left hand side. So, I split the jaw in two places left hand side, broke the left jaw, sternum, vertebrae, crushed your sternum and, and cracked it open, didn't it? A uh, little bit. Yeah, yep. That was the least of my worries. Vertebrae, I'd done the L2, L3. Yep. But what the biggest issue was, I split the kneecap in half. Uh, there was there was uh, two inches separating each part of the kneecap. Yeah. And then, of course, I got thrown into the brick wall. And uh, and you you believe that all happened from the impact of the horse? Yes. Yep. You're talking about a half a ton horse coming into you where you're going probably 40k an hour. He's coming he's 40k, coming, he's coming maybe 40K, more. Yeah. yeah. Loose horse. Yeah, yeah. So bang. And then I'll go throw it into the brick wall. So, cause the rail was out such a long way because of the trials and they're yep. protecting the track. Yep. Uh, it, it wasn't a race for, uh, you think, oh, how are you going to come back from that mentally? Every time I saw a loose horse, I'd freeze. I'd actually panic. So I can understand jockeys losing the nerves. That's what happened to me when I saw a loose horse. Yep. Race day was all right. Go through a gap, no problem, because it wasn't a race full. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was lucky to come back there mentally. I did. I w- went from riding. I was about forty nine kilos at the time. I blew into 64, 65 kilos. I then got back. I came back early, January seventeen. I wanted to come back first of August. And, and just to interject, there, there was real doubt whether you could get back Correct. after that. Correct. I um, like when I got X rayed, I, I blacked out through the pain. They, they had to split the. They had to. Split the uh, well, bend the knee, bend yeah, the leg, yeah. So then get a the X-rayologist could get a uh, good look at it, yeah. and I blacked out through the pain uh, because you know I could only yeah. keep it straight, and they've 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 cracked it, and yeah, I caught them everything under the sun before I passed out, and and I came back first of August, and to my first race ride in, at, at Terrelgan. I, I so I started working back uh, middle of June, so six weeks before I returned back, and I was 64 kilos, had to go on a strict diet, and I came back riding about 53 and a half, 54. I uh, probably came back a couple months too early, but I had to get back then because the spring carnival, you, you, yeah, you've got to... That's your aim, isn't it? 100%. And can I ask, was this, getting back, did you need occasional or constant painkiller no, assistance. I was all right. You got back without it. Yeah, got back on without it. On a split kneecap. 100%. Yeah, they wired it up. 
uh, healed good. They got the wires out. And, you must have been riding in pain, though. Oh, all the time. Yeah. yeah. But I was young. That's what saved me. I was 20 years old at the time. Yeah. Uh, niggling pain. Of course, getting massages all the time. I had a lot of knotted muscles at the time on top of the thigh. Geez, that's that's uh, excruciating pain, Those uh, trying to get those out. And and then, as I said, I came back 1st of August, went to Terrelga, and I thought, this will test the nerves out. First ride, he got the money. Uh, had that blowout. I was like, I'd never missed a day after that. Yeah. And came back and rode three group ones that season. Two, two over that spring carnival. Oppressor and Cisco, who you mentioned. Yeah. Now, tell us, let's let's move forward <laughs> through time to 2007. Yeah, down years later. <laughs> on the way to Phil, uh, Wilson's Promontory, there's a little place called yeah. Stony Creek. I'd actually recently, about two and a half years ago, purchased a little property out Katani. Yes. You know it, of yep. course. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the EDFL out there. Yep. Kui Rap and that. Yeah. Hated living out there. Been a city boy all my life. And the missus, you know, country girl, ah, all right. So we brought 10 acres out there. So Stony Creek was less than an hour drive for me. And I'd just come back from holiday. So I was a little bit heavy. I was, I was struggled to make the weight. And I put on the barest of what I could on this horse uh, to make the weight. And what I think, the girth pinched it. Going to the gate, she was a bit humpy. And I kind of said, oh, this ain't right. And I, and I did a little Your bit of Your senses were telling you that. Yeah. And I, yeah. So I let, let her roll a bit to see if she could stretch out. And that was all right. And I went, all right, must be all right. So behind the gates, no problem. Barriers open. We went 50 metres. And then she got a bit of a squeeze. Sammy Highland come across and give me a bit of a bump. And that's when she overreacted. And she dropped her head and just started rodeoing. I was on it for about six, seven strides. And that's when I came off it stand and, and landed on me feet. Yeah. It was a 9.6 dismount. <laughs> and and don't forget, we're in full stride. So yeah. so we're now going, 50, uh, you know, 55, 60, uh, yeah, about 50, 55 clicks an hour. Yep. So it wasn't as if it came out of the barriers humping. It was took five or six strides in full stride and and dropped its head. Yep. I've landed on my feet. I'm laying on the track with the elbow on, on me cheek. I mean, my hand on, you know, resting the yep. elbow on the grass, yep. sorry. with, And I'm looking, looking at the field go away. I went to get up and then I've noticed the right leg was on a 45 degree angle. And that's when the brain just knew I'd done something and all the pain started rushing to me brain, of course, right? Did you go into shock? No. So the right leg's on a 45 degree angle, but all the pain was in the left. And I went, if the right leg's on a 45 degree angle, and you're not, I'd, yeah. I'd hate to see what the left is. So the ambulance men came over. I just rolled up the sleeve and they give me the sucker. And the little green whistle? The green whistle. And I just rolled up the sleeve and they straight in with the morphine there because they knew I was stuffed. And, uh... And I was laying on the track for an hour. They, they didn't know how, what to do with me because then the right leg, as I said, 45-degree angle, I did the tib-fib compound fracture, tib-fib, as well as the ankle there. And the ambulance man had never, because it had no pulse, and he'd never cracked the, cracked the bone back into place Yeah. Uh, to, to get a pulse back yep. going. Yep. Otherwise, you get gangrene. Yep. So he's on the phone to a, another doctor asking advice on how to crack this back into place. And, oh, the only uh, thing he didn't do uh, was get onto YouTube. And yeah. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> doctor, yeah, do it yourself. Yeah. Next thing, um, yeah, I'm hearing all this while he's on the phone. I'm going, you're kidding me. Yeah. Like I'm half dazed though. And uh, yeah, he cracked it back into place. Uh, Great. That's I, a, that's I, a I screamed like a little girl. That, nothing wrong with that. But, but felt no pain because I was already halfed up. Yep. Uh, yeah. And then got airlifted, of course, to, to Royal Melbourne. So I mentioned the green whistle. Did, did you rely on, on medication I'd, after that? I'm not off it. 15 yeah. years go by, I'm still on Oxycontin. 
uh, to get me through the days. I've got to go and see pain management now again. This will be the third time I've just made an appointment. As uh, the as world knows now, it's awesome. The pain management and, and taking the, the painkillers and God knows I've been through it mm. as well. 15 years though. Yeah, that's That's the thing because they've got insane. to reset the brain. Yeah, yeah. It's, as we know, it's a massive problem, isn't it? Yeah. It's taking it for that long and clearly you you rely on it to function. you got to have quality. you got to have quality of life to be able to function and if that means taking it, so be it. 15 My years a long time. My quality of life's not great either. I go to work here after just a four-hour shift. Gee, you look I'm, like you like it. I'm, I'm back. I'm, ba- I'm back in bed. It's, it, it does. I spend a lot of time in bed. I do my, all my form, race form in bed. Uh, it's, I just got to get off my legs. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about the immediate aftermath of 2007, oh, the crash. Ah, oh, it's it was just then horrendous, horrendous. Uh, operation after operation. How many? I was, oh, ten. So the last two operations were for them to finally both get fused. Uh, so one of the early operations was to get all the synthetic bone because I shaved off all the uh, the cartilage and all that too. Yep. The, the, it was the, the way the doctors described it was a wine glass getting dropped. The bone yep. was just smashed to smithereens. And uh, one occasion when he reopened me up, all the all the bone, all the synthetic bone, what couldn't say melted out, but came out. Yep. And he goes, "What he had to do was get it all out, reparty it, and put it back into me leg." And so the body yeah, was rejecting it. Yeah, in a way, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's fine now, but of course, still in, in, in immense pain. But yeah, I was laid up in bed for six years, put it that way. So three and a half years after, that's when I, I started getting fused ankles. And the, the left one, which was the worst, took six months. The right one took four months to fuse. So, Wow. Six years. Now, some people say, oh, I was there for X amount of months. Six. Tell us six how, years. how difficult is it to be in mm. bed for six yeah. years? I, I when I say six years, you're still getting up, maybe going to the pub or something, sitting down, having a meal, going back home. But you got care couldn't to get you much. there. And, yeah, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't do much. Uh, and in the six years, uh, I was fortunate enough, I played a lot of poker. Yep. Watched a lot of TV, of course, but poker got me through it, uh, which you're not allowed to play online poker now, of course. Fortunately enough, the oh, government... Yeah. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Legally. And... Uh, yeah, so that helped me through, and of course, watching a lot of movies and that, and then you sort of become a sloth, and then things get worse and worse as well. Your health deteriorates. I'm taking these different, like, I got, I take Nexium now for heartburn, for the rapid increase, um, blood pressure pills, gout pills, like all these new things are just coming. Espromazole. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So from a fit athlete, I've been on it for thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so from a fit athlete, and you know too well, yeah, to yeah. to taking all these like you're a bum on a. On a couch, aren't you? So, and uh, and then of course, seven years after the accident, the the missus leaves me, divorced, and yeah, and then things go. Uh, well, yeah, you sort of. I, I was every all my assets freeze and all that because you're going through a divorce and you're on the bones of your ass. And yeah, yeah Tagsy, yeah. are you okay? If I drill into that after the break, yep, no problem. All right. I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest is David Taggart. This is the conversations that could kickstart a conversation with Dare. And are you okay? The conversations that could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You Okay? I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest tonight is David Taggart. So we've heard about the, these horrific falls, the last in 2007, your mid to late 30s then. Yeah, yeah, 33. So your early 40s and 
Your wife leaves you. Assets yeah. freeze. Thirteen-year-old daughter. Do you blame your wife for leaving you? I did at the time. You don't now. No, I can understand why. It's sad. It's sad. It hurts me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was in a bad place. That I've, I actually spoke to Cam Luke about it, and I said I never told anyone. And since I've told Cam, I, I might as well tell the world. It was my because of the nerve pain. The ankles burn. They're on fire. Yeah. And we had a swimming pool out the out the back. We had an eighty thousand litre swim. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a big pool. And one o'clock winter, you country up the winter, it's zero degrees. Yep. And because the legs burn, I used to just one o'clock in the morning, just go and sit out there for an hour because the legs were burning. Drunk and they still didn't help. I, once I got into the car to go down on the train tracks. Yeah. And to cut them off. That's how much pain I was in. Uh, I look back on that now and go, wow. And uh, at the moment, it was just, it was, oh, you're just in a bad place and I can understand why she left me. When we had were... a thirteen-year-old daughter as well, which which had, she was six at the accident, time of the accident, and she had to grow up bloody fast, too. And yeah. uh, for a six-year-old, she didn't deserve that. You're emotional now, yeah. but at the time, at the time, what stopped you going down there? Because <sighs> I was weak. I was weak. I don't think didn't I... have the guts so... to do it. I don't. I think you know my mm-hmm. background. I, I don't think anyone's weak who's done it. There mm. are other reasons. I don't think they're weak. I genuinely don't. I, we don't understand where they're I, at, and they the, don't understand where they're at. The doctor's work came into play as well, all his work, all yeah. these operations. Yeah. Would have been for nothing. Yeah. How's that? Thinking to go down, yeah, yeah. just to lay there so you can uh, drink and run, uh, run your legs over. Horrible place. Yeah. So that's rock bottom. Rock bottom, yeah. What's, what well, trans- yeah, And don't forget, you'd, I was drinking... Um, Half a slab of beer a day and a half a bottle of scotch as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's not helping. With those pain pills. Yeah. Yeah. So that's rock bottom. Rock bottom. What's the first step on the path to climb out of rock bottom? Wow. Took a while. Still, Well, you're talking, this is still seven years. Yeah. So the missus went through hell. Yep. You put her through hell too, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I said. Take your time. Yeah. All good, mate. Look, I'll, I'll never stop loving her. I'm Dermot Brereton, and our guest tonight is David Taggart. This is the Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Ice Coffee. If our conversation tonight has raised some issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14, and they are available 24 hours a day. Tags got a bit emotional there, but... Yeah, and where, where were we? Yeah. <laughs> well, we talk about how when you hit rock bottom, then you were able to move in a positive direction. You you must have relied on some really positive people. Yeah, in, in a way, I, I sort of reached out to my network of close friends and, uh, I, geez, I, I must have given their and, them an ear bashing, you know, like. Yep. Uh, well, can I ask you then, what was it in them? Because the whole thing about our show is having conversations with people to actually Get it off your chest or have somebody try and understand what you're going through. Those friends that you reached out to. They've got they they're your closest of closest friends. There, there's other people where you where they're friends slash acquaintances. You, you sort of, I, yeah, I spoke yeah. I spoke to one he, he saw the missus at the races get and said, Oh, what about your husband? You know, blah 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 and you're going, Fair dig, I'm trying to reach out to you, mate. And, yeah. You know. Uh, that got back to me. He doesn't any know any well, he's not yeah. my mate anymore, but anyway, but uh, but then it's, 
as I said, when once sort of we separated, I'm on the bones of my ass, and I went back to mum and dad's. So for you, a couple of years, right? Yeah. You're a forty-something adult, and yeah. you went back to live with mum and dad. Yeah, it's yeah. shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, well, it's not know, shocking. It, it happens. And with and what family does it? Yeah, with what yeah. you're good. You know, everything's frozen. Your properties and all that too. So you've got to wait years for the divorce to come through to, to sort of have anything. And then it was just, it was just lucky that um, there's a company that's not around anymore. G1X started up a thoroughbred yeah. internet company, and that G1X, remember them. Yep. Mick Sharkey. And of course, the na- my name gets popped up, and he wants to do an interview with me. And he's noticed my living situation. You know, yeah. he come and he come come to Brunel Street there in East Melbourne, Mum and Dad's, and yeah. uh, he goes, "You living here?" And I told him the story, and, and well, yeah, and that's. And that's next thing I've offered a job and I was doing the form again and something that I love and next thing I'm at SEN. So So that mini step of reaching out to somebody got you that first job. That first job Job. gets people hearing you and going, and and, and as I said, mate, I don't listen to much horse racing. I've I've been to the races, but I'm not there for the horses. The cream cream rises to the top, (laughs) Derm, you know that. And yet somebody uh, has thought, Gee, Dave Taggart, he'd be great on SEN. And I listen to you guys, and pardon me, but it's bloody hilarious and I know nothing about it. It's really listenable. It's great fun. So through that conversation, the world reopens to you and you get your life back on track. In a little way, with with a lot of hurdles. Yeah. 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 To to a lot of obstacles to overcome uh, day by day, but... Getting paid to carry on like lunatics and have a punt. It's a pretty good job, isn't it? What more do you want? <laughs> and I see you footy blokes in there. He's as stiff as anything. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, have a look at these blokes. Loosen up, will yeah. you? We're not allowed to behave <laughs> like you blokes. Well, there's something about the thrill of horse racing, isn't it? And I can understand it. It can get people into trouble. I can understand that, the hopes and dreams and whatever. But there, there is a, a, an exciting element to it, isn't there? You only hear the good stories, though. Yeah. You don't hear many of the bad ones, so, yeah. like the, the takeover targets and all that. You hear yeah. all those great stories. So you, you, you've done well out of racing. Racing's given you a, a oh, lifestyle and yeah. the likes. Um, you got it's work. You got to work hard. It's, yeah. it's so hard. It's and when I say I wasn't dedicated, I was still working harder than the normal Joe. Yeah. And like to work on your weight twenty four seven is hard enough in itself. Yeah. Let alone then go out and compete and all that too. So. Uh, Could you go out and and look at something? You know, everybody, you go out to the flower drum, and somebody decides to order the black bean chicken, uh, three <laughs> serves, and and then they have those wonderful. Dessert. Could you look at that and go, uh, not for me tonight. I can't make weight. Oh, when I rode, yeah, yeah. Well, you wouldn't go out. So you'd have to re- you'd have to take yourself out of the environment. Yeah, you've got to take. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't be going. Wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't go, go near the yeah, temptation. Yeah, yeah, couldn't go. It's uh, it, it's like it's unusual. Like when when we were flying and and living in harmony and that. Like the missus would uh, and and how how many partners would say that you'd leave to work leave for work and uh, as you're leaving she'd say are you eating tonight? Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Just that's all she'd say. Are you eating tonight? And if so, I said yes, I said we'll go out for dinner because once or twice a week, you, when you could eat that little bit, you'd go out for dinner or, or you knew exactly what you wanted to eat. These days now, what do you want? I oh, don't know. Can't be stuffed. Don't, wouldn't have a clue what I wanted. But when I wrote, I knew exactly what I wanted to eat because you didn't get the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there'd be times you'd, you'd only have a little piece of steak the size of your palm and a couple of veggies just to yeah. get the metabolism going, then go off for a walk. Yeah. Tags, there's there's so much I want to ask you about, and we're going to run out of time, but I have one final question Part for you. Part two. 
Yeah, we should. <laughs> we should. We'll get you back. Um, you're sitting there. You're a well-travelled man. You have all this knowledge now. You, you, you sit in a seat that, that has all this experience. A person travels the path you did, and they come to you and say, I'm at rock bottom. What would you say to them? It'll get better. How? How will it get better, Tags? That's going to be their reply. First of all, you've got to surround yourself with your close mates. And hopefully you haven't burnt anyone. Because when you're in a low position too, you can you can distance yourself from people. I was fortunate enough that I had two or three people I kept close to me. And uh, I relied on them. If you've got that opportunity, it will get better. And go out and try and find something that you love to do and what you're knowledgeable at. As I said, I only know racing and it's just I'm just fortunate enough to to sort of land on this job here. I'm not saying it'll happen to everyone. Yeah. But uh, it will get better. Tags, we've done this show for a couple of years now and we've we've met a lot of people with some many wonderful, many varied, many heartbreaking stories. You are the epitome of what this show is about, mate. <laughs> and I thank you so much. I wish much. I wasn't doing. Yeah. You yeah. Are, I thank you so much for sharing it with us tonight. You're welcome. And, of course, you can hear Tags on SEN Track, and it, it is a whole lot of fun. But if our conversation tonight has raised some issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14, 24 hours a day. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Conversations That Could for RUK and you'd like to share it with a friend or access the resources in our show notes, subscribe to the podcast of The Conversations That Could wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dermot Brereton and we'll be back next week when we'll kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK? Thank you for listening. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a Dare fix won't fix it but a conversation could ask are you okay